Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Today we're going to be talking about marriage, and that's why I've got Ken and Barbie up here this morning. But we're not just going to talk about any marriage today. We're going to talk about a godly marriage. Because if God's not in it, God's not the center of it, not going to work. This is a message that I call a marriage that really works. See, Barbie here was introduced by the Mattel Company back in 1951. And Ken here came out just two years after that, 1961. In actuality, Barbie and Ken are only boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't know how many here actually knew that. I didn't know it. I always just kind of thought they were married. I mean, they've been together for a long time, right? But I think for a good illustration today, let's assume they're married. But Ken and Barbie, the perfect representation of what a married couple should look like, right? I mean, they do have it all. They certainly have the looks. They certainly have the bodies. They've got the dream house. They've got the RV, they've got the Corvette, they do. I didn't know that. But Ken and Barbie represent the perfect American couple, don't they? But here's the reality. It's not real. This is a picture that does not exist. But somehow we'd like to think that it does. The fact of the matter is, there's no perfect marriage. And what you might see in a marriage like this is not the reality. And it's not our goal. See, our goal is not the perfect marriage. Our goal is a godly marriage. I'd like to say that again. Our goal is not a perfect marriage. Our goal is a godly marriage. So if you're here this morning and you're married, listen up. But also if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're remarried, there's principles from this message that will benefit all of us in our journey. I think it's also important to add this, that these principles can help us all when it comes to relationships in general. So what makes a marriage really work? I've got four points this morning, and the first one is this. It starts before the wedding. It starts before the wedding. I'd like to take you back to 1990, 
It's a while back. It's when I graduated from high school. I grew up in Northern California. Went to a high school called Elk Grove High School. And um, graduated in 1990. I really didn't have a plan in mind. Really didn't have any goals. Um, I kind of just did what a lot of the students did after they left high school. They went to what was called the Continuation School. They called it Elk Grove Continuation School. It was the local community college just two miles down the street. And uh, I, um, I went there for a while. And I quickly figured out how fun college was and how taking college classes was just amazing because you could, you could drop a class if you wanted to. If it was getting a little too hard, you just drop it. Um, after a couple years, I started realizing that it wasn't getting me too far, and I had to make some decisions. But at that point in time, I was also kind of heading down a path that wasn't godly. See, I had grown up in the church all my life. I had godly parents. I grew up in the youth group. Um, I was heavily involved with church, but I had started drifting away wasn't really bad, but I definitely wasn't living the life that God had intended for me. I kind of came to this point where I realized that I didn't really want this for the rest of my life. I needed what God had planned for me, which was a godly marriage, a godly family, and a godly life. I made the decision to transfer to a college that I kind of always felt like God had placed on my heart. It was a college called Azusa Pacific University down in Southern California. And part of the reason why I went down there was because of music. And, um, but little did I know that God actually had my future wife waiting for me there as well. And um, that was God's plan for my life. And I went there. I met, met my wife, Karen just within about the first week, and uh, we just continued a relationship, and uh, eventually, long story short, got engaged and got married in 1995, and it's been a wonderful marriage. It's been an amazing marriage, and I think a lot of what has attributed to that is the fact that we really seek God through it all. Um, we can say we did things the godly way. We, we dated the right way. Um, we kept ourselves pure. Um, we did it according to God's plan. Here's the key truth, though. Our marriage hasn't been perfect by any means. But I had to want a godly marriage first. I had to want the plan that God had for me. It's hard to believe what things would have been like if I hadn't have pursued God's plan, if I hadn't taken the steps necessary to pursue what God had for me and for Karen. We've been in a series called Getting Back Into Shape. And I think it's a great segue because as many of you know, If you're looking to build muscle mass, if you're looking to lose weight, 
If you're preparing for a marathon, it takes preparation, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. See, preparing for a godly marriage starts well before the wedding. If you're here today and you're single, it starts now. Even before you meet your future spouse, if you're single and you're trying to find that right person, I'd encourage you to try a different approach. You become the right person. And then watch how you attract what you become. I know we're probably all familiar with the scripture verse, Psalm 37, 4. And it says this, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You all heard that, right? But I think a lot of times we misinterpret that scripture verse to say this. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. See, this is one of those conditional promises that we learned about last fall. Yes, God will give give you the desires of your heart, but only if you do what? If you delight in him. What does it mean to delight in him? The message translation says this. It says, to keep company with God. It means that we must know him. The only way to know him is to have a relationship with him. And here's the key. If we truly know him, our heart follows the path that he laid out for us. God doesn't just give us desires that are outside of his plan. It's only when we truly know him and long for his plan, his desires become our desires. I am not a fan of weddings. Just want to let you know that this morning. I'm going to say that again. I am not a fan of weddings. You're probably wondering here this morning, hmm, marriage and family pastor, starting, starting on a right path, right, up, right from the get-go. But I'm not a fan of weddings. I think part of that is because I'm pretty introverted. I don't like the large gatherings. I tend to shy away from them. I like to be by myself a lot. But there's another reason why I'm not a fan of weddings. And I think it's this. I think a lot of weddings, I think there's a lot of fluff. I think there's a lot of things that are celebrated that don't really matter. I think it's really more about the event sometimes and maybe the party than what it really signifies. And I think even in a Christian wedding, I think sometimes we can miss it. But if we were to be honest, when we think of a wedding, what are the first things we typically think about? Think about the wedding cake. Think about who's going to be in the wedding party. Who's going to be the DJ. The ring. The food. But if we look at a wedding from God's perspective, I think we're missing it. I think the key is that we ask this question, is God first? Is God first well before the decision to get married? Because if God's not in it from the beginning, you really don't have a true picture of what marriage is 
and its significance. Question for you. What's more important, the wedding or the marriage? I think we'd all say the marriage. But in reality, do you guys have any idea how much we spend today on weddings? Yeah, I did some... I did some research, and the average American wedding right now is hovering about $30,000. That's a lot of money. And that's just the average, right? I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, and I'd like you to go there now if you would. I'm going to read verses 22 through 33, and I think we're all familiar with these passages pretty well. We talk about uh, weddings and, and marriage, what it means to be married. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, here's what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So I know we're all pretty familiar with that passage, correct? But I'd like us to go back just one verse. See, there's an order to things, I believe, that Paul lays out for us here. And that verse just prior to verse 22, 21, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, there's an order to things. Paul lays out an order in Ephesians as sort of laying out a foundation for things to come. Several weeks ago, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago, we had a pretty amazing storm come through town. Y'all remember that? It was a nice storm this morning, but, but a few weeks ago we had a, had a pretty incredible storm come through. And it was, it was absolutely amazing I, I was here at the church, it was around 5 o'clock, I think, and, and I, I just live a, f- a, a f- few minutes away, and I thought, you know, there was this big wall of darkness coming, plenty of time to get home. Started driving home, and like, literally like two minutes later, I'm wondering if I'm even going to make it home before it hits. But... I remember I got home and the storm had started and I was just 
in my back patio, just kind of sheltered from the winds. And I was just looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds and, and, and the movement and the colors. Little did I know that all around me, blocks away, not very far away, trees were literally popping out of the ground. You all probably saw that around town, just trees just right out of the ground. And I think it's a good illustration for us that things might not always appear as they seem. Because just because a tree is 30 or 50 years old even doesn't mean it's going to hold when the strong winds blow. In order for a tree to stand firm, its roots need to go down deep. Our roots need to go down deep. I'd like us to read a scripture verse together. It's going to be on the screens. It's Colossians 2.7. Let's read this together, can we? Let your roots go down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So going back to Ephesians 5.21, which says, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. What does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, it means that we follow his teachings. It means that we follow his plan. It's a foolproof plan for our lives and for our marriages. It's a plan that allows our roots to go down deep. Deep enough that when the strongest winds come, we're not going to fall. Remember how I said that Paul lays out an order to things in this book of Ephesians? Let's look at what Paul says prior to this. As you're figuring out, I'm kind of working backwards here. But I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talk, these are all harmful things to help set up an unhealthy marriage. There's a quote that I heard, and it goes something like this. Things don't end wrong they start wrong. So if you're preparing for marriage right now, how are you starting things? Are you starting things according to God's plan? Are you sexually pure before one another? If not, you're not letting your roots go down deep. Are you living in sin 
and not willing to repent and make a change? Are you representing God and his values in all that you do? How deep are you allowing your roots to go down? And if you've been part of a marriage that didn't start correctly, righteously, know this. God is good. He's a faithful God. He loves you. He's the God of second chances. So going back to Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Because that's the key. See, if you delight yourself in the Lord and the things of him, you'll be set up well for a marriage that really works. So it starts before the wedding, but also it's a lifelong commitment, and that's point number two this morning. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a story about a boy who asked his dad one time, he said, Dad, how much does a marriage cost? And dad looked down at his boy and he said, you know, son, I don't really know. I'm still paying. <laughs> See, marriage is lifelong. But let's break this apart because I think people tend to treat these two words separately. What does it mean to be lifelong? I'm going to put something on the screen here. This is celebrates wedding vows. You're all familiar of, with tra traditional wedding vows, right, in the church. But when Celebrate Church does a wedding, this is how we start our vows. This is how it goes. Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord of your life? Repented of your sins? And are you trusting Jesus alone as your only hope of salvation? Will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else? Will you covenant as the husband of your home to fulfill your biblical obligations to your wife and family by daily acknowledging Jesus as the Lord of your household? And the answer, obviously, to that is I have and I will. See, notice how God's at the center. God is the beginning of the covenant. My wife, Karen, she plays the piano, as some of you might know. She plays occasionally up here uh, on the platform with our, our music. But throughout the years, as she's played piano, she's played for quite a few weddings. And uh, this was many years ago, but I'll never forget it. She came home one time after playing for a wedding, and she said, ah, she said, that was a complete waste of time. I said, Why? She said, well, when they got to the vows, they stated something like this. Do you agree and vow to love each other as long as love lasts? Church, that's not a good way to start. Remember that quote I said earlier? Things don't end wrong, they start wrong. 
Lately, over the last few weeks, I've had some conversations with some seasoned married couples. And one of the themes that I hear a lot of is no matter the ups and downs, no matter how much we don't even like each other sometimes, it all comes down to that lifelong commitment that we, met, that, that we made with each other and with God. You see, you might not always be attracted to one another. You might not always see things the same. You might fight, argue on occasion. Maybe even have a bad relationship. But the fact is this. You made a commitment to God and to each other until our time's up on this earth. I'd like us to look at what the Bible says about marriage being lifelong. This is out of Matthew 19, and it says this. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replies? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And here's another thing. Some of you may have asked this question, why doesn't God bless our marriage? Well, here's a key truth. The Lord will not bless your marriage if it functions outside of his plan. I'd like us to read another scripture verse. This is out of Malachi 2, and it says this. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Why doesn't the Lord bless me? Well, I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. See, from the very beginning, God designed marriage to be lifelong. Think about it. If God is the one who put my wife and I together, who am I to divide it? Who am I to come to some idea that we're not compatible anymore? Who am I to go against God's plan? How much greater are the plans that he has for us even when we can't see it? I do want to mention this, though. If you're here today and you've been divorced for whatever reason, be encouraged. God is a forgiving God. There isn't one person here today that's without sin and that's without fault. With God, things can be made new. The question is this, though. Have we made things right with God? Are we repentant and have we decided to learn and move forward with God's plan for our life? So God designed marriage to be lifelong, right? But let's look at the other part, commitment. We don't like that word, do we? We don't like that word, commitment. And it's kind of hard to find people who are even committed, it seems like nowadays, isn't it? See, I also pulled some recent stats on marriage and divorce. And I went into it pulling these statistics thinking that, oh man, uh, 
divorce rates just continuing to get worse and worse. But I was wrong. See, the divorce rate is actually getting better. But here's the problem, and here's what I didn't realize. There's another rate we need to look at. It's not the divorce rate. It's the marriage rate. The National Center for Family and Marriage Research explains that the marriage rate in the United States today is a third of what it was at its height in 1920. See, the fact is, fewer and fewer people are getting married. And let me also clarify something, too. People are still getting together, but they're not getting together the right way. They're not getting together the righteous way. See, it all comes down to commitment. Commitment to God and to each other. So how do we change this? How can we become better committed to God and to each other? I believe it takes simplification. See, because commitment requires our time and our resources. Our spouse requires our time and our resources. Here's some questions that I think we can ask to see if we're really seeking to be committed. The first one is this. Am I committed to God? Am I spending intentional time with him daily? Am I tithing? Am I fitting my schedule into his plan and not the opposite? The second question is this. Am I committed to his church? Do I serve with the gifts he's given me? Do I attend faithfully? Am I part of a group where I get to learn and grow and be challenged in my spiritual walk? Third, am I committed to my spouse? Am I intentionally carving out my time and my schedule for quality time together? Have I created healthy boundaries to protect the marriage? And have I sat down together and asked the honest questions, how can I serve you? See, your commitment to God will directly affect how deep your roots go. So to have a marriage that really works, it starts before the wedding. It's a lifelong commitment. And that brings us to point three, which is this. It's a team approach. It's a team approach. I love this story about Oli and Lena. They're driving in the car and a police officer pulls them over. Police officer walks up to the car and Oli rolls the window down and the police officer says, uh, Sir, did you know that you were speeding back there? Oli looks at the police officer and says, Officer, I had no idea. Lena look, leans over and says to the police officer, uh, Officer, he knew he was speeding. I reminded him of that two miles back. Oli says, you be quiet. Police officer says, see your driver's license. Well, he gives him his driver's license. He looks at his license and says, uh, sir, did you know that your license is expired? Well, he says, officer, I had no idea. Sorry. Lena looks, turns to the officer. Officer, he knew it was expired. I reminded him of that a month ago. Well, he turns to Lena and says, 
Will you shut your mouth? Officer turns and looks to Lena and says, does your husband always talk to you this way? And she says, no, officer, only when he's been drinking. (laughs) Now that's a great example of doing marriage as a team, wouldn't you say? See, Karen and I have been married for 26 years now. Yeah, thank you. And um, it's been a great marriage. Certainly not a perfect marriage. It's been a great marriage. And, um, but I, I, I think it's really been within the last few years that we've really been able to truly appreciate what a marriage is really supposed to be. And you might be wondering, man, it's 26 years and you're just now figuring that out. But, like I said, it was a good marriage. And, you know, there was times where, I think a lot of times, we were doing our own thing. And we were still doing, I think, the right things. We were doing ministry together. But just kind of going our own directions, doing our own things. And it's really been in the last few years that God's really shown us that marriage is operating as a team, that it's truly serving one another and being attentive to one another's needs. I think it comes down to just serving one another. And here's, I think, something that we miss. It's way bigger than just being a husband and a wife. It's way bigger than just you two. See, God not only designed our marriage to serve us, but also others around us. Our marriage is a testimony to God's story. I'd like us to look at Ephesians 5 again and just some certain verses here. And I want you to catch the relationship between um, the marriage and the church. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And then jumping down to verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Notice the parallels, right? With God's church. In the marriage, you might be asking yourself, what does the church have to do with marriage? Well, just as marriage represents a man and a woman joining together as one body, Christ and the church are also united as one body. See, we're a model for Christ and the church. Or better said, we can understand more about God's church by living out a godly marriage. And I think what Paul is ultimately trying to say here is this. If you think marriage is important, the church is that and more. Let's read another scripture verse together. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Let's read this together. Here we go. All of you together are Christ's body, 
and each of you is a part of it. We'd read that one more time. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. See, it takes a lot of gifts here at this church to make things happen. There's a lot of teams here. One team up here is, is the music team. You're aware of that team. There's a teaching team that, that uh, delivers the word each weekend. There's a, we call it a host team. It's a team that serves you as you come in the doors and as you come in this room. We have a team that serves our kids each weekend. We have a team back here in the back, our production team, and they make sure everything happens uh, behind the scenes. But it takes a load of teams to make all this happen each week and during the week. I like to use this other example. When I was young, I was interested in music, and um, I, the, the first intru- instrument that I wanted to learn how to play was the drums. And uh, man, the drums was just amazing, awesome, and that was, that was just so cool, if I could play the drums. So I, I learned to play the drums. It took me a while, learned to play them, but you know what? After a while, as I started getting pretty good and playing, all he was doing was just playing beats. That's all there was, was a beat. I had this desire to be a part of something bigger because you don't just play the drums just to play beats. You play the drums to be in a band and to create music. And when you start adding all the other instruments, you start adding the guitars and uh, the bass and the piano and the vocals, and then you start getting the harmonies and the melodies, that's when it gets beautiful. That's a picture of God's church. We all come together and we use the gifts that God's given us to do his work. I mentioned earlier about how couples can get married, namely us. We were kind of doing our own thing. Karen did her stuff, I did my stuff. Anyone here have one of those moments in marriage where you say, I'll never do that again? Anybody here? I'll never do that again. I had one of those moments. This was early in our marriage, very early in our marriage, within the first few years. And uh, Karen had, had left for the weekend to go up and visit family. And I was home by myself for the weekend. I was batching it, having a great time. And uh, after a little while, I, I must have been getting bored, running out of things to do. So I decided to uh, take a drive up to our local humane society. That was a great idea. I went up to the humane society. I started you know, looking at all the, all the puppies. Well, I fell in love with a dog. And uh, it was a great dog. Of course, we already had a dog at the house, a big dog. And, um, but, I, but I fell in love with another dog. And I just thought it would be absolutely amazing if I brought this dog home and surprised Karen when she got home. <laughs> she was surprised. <clears throat> I had it all planned out. Had the dog, I brought the dog downstairs, I had a kennel, and I knew how I was going to surprise her when she got home. Man, I couldn't wait till she got home. Well, she got home, and I 
walked her down the steps and showed her the dog. And she started crying. And they weren't tears of joy. They were tears of disappointment. They were tears of disappointment because she wasn't involved in the decision. That was a big lesson for me that day. It's always a big lesson when your wife cries. Apparently, bringing a dog home is a big decision. But it was a lesson I learned that day. And it was serving one another. It was operating as a team, valuing each other. So in order for a marriage to really work, it starts before the wedding. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a team approach. But our last point is this. It can get better. And I worded this specific because it can get better. And it can get better with time. It doesn't always get better. But the key is this. How deep are your roots? Barbie and Ken. Remember how I said earlier that in reality this is no one? See, you won't find a Barbie and Ken doll that resembles the reality of what time does to a body. You won't. I went to several stores trying to find the Ken and Barbie doll. There's a lot of Barbie dolls. There's very little Ken dolls, I'll tell you that. And it was a little awkward buying a Ken and Barbie doll. Especially when I ran into somebody that I know coming out of the store. That was interesting. <laughs> But it's true. You won't find a Barbie and Ken doll that resembles the reality of what time does to a body. They're pretty much all the same. See, in reality, as our bodies age with time and lose attractiveness, our marriages can actually thrive. That can say that Karen and I are just now starting to appreciate marriage and how it's supposed to work. It's like seeing each other through a different lens, and it's something that you can't describe to anyone else. As a musician, I have an appreciation for fine instruments, particularly ones that are made of wood. And there's something special about the instruments that have stood the test of time over many years with scuffs and scratches, dents and dings, and battle scars from all the years of playing it. You see, there's proven science be behind why a vintage instrument sounds better to the professional ear. See, as time passes, the wood slowly dries out and it causes gaps in the wood fiber to shrink. 
meaning that less moisture is com contained in those wood fibers, and it allows for increased overtones and harmonics. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. It's a picture of two guitars. These are, in a sense, both the same guitar. They're the same model. This is a Martin D28. It's one of the most iconic guitars of all time. But the major difference between the two is that one of them is brand new. It's a 2022 Custom Shop D28. Sells for just under $6,000. The one next to it, one on the left, is a Martin D28 that was made in 1936. That one actually just sold on eBay this last March for $261,000. Crazy, huh? I should also explain one other thing. And that's the fact that a vintage instrument, like this one here on the left, can only be valuable when two things occur. Number one, it has to be built well from the very beginning. And number two, they have to be well taken care of. See, without proper care, over time, they'll easily crack, warp, and eventually collapse. So which one's better? Well, I think most musicians would agree, the vintage one. Why is that? It simply sounds better. It has a history. It has character. It's one of a kind. And like these guitars, our marriages, in a way, are very similar. There's something special about a relationship that stood the test of time. There's a long history. There's a lot of character. And there's not one like it. Before we close, I'd like to do something. If you're here this morning and you've been married for 40 or more years, would you please stand? Let's go ahead and stand. If you've been married 40 plus, would you stand, please? Please stay standing if you would. Church, these marriages here that you see, these have stories to tell. And I would guess that their roots go deep. They've stood the test of time over the many years with scuffs and scratches and dents and dings and the battle scars of doing life together. And when the strong winds blow, they stand firm. You see, none of these marriages are perfect. 
like you would see here with Barbie and Ken, right? Now these marriages are real. They're what God designed. And when the strong winds come and they blow, they stand firm. We're going to pray in just a moment. You may be seated. But if you're here today and your marriage isn't doing that well, just know God can heal it. I know it. I've seen it. We'd love to help. We'd love to walk with you, whatever it is that you're going through. And here's an encouraging verse for you this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the roadmap that you provide that we might have a marriage that really works. And God, I pray a blessing on the marriages here today. That as they work to follow you, that they would see what a marriage is truly designed for. A testimony to your wonderful plan. A testimony to your holy church. A testimony to our children and others around us. And to our future generations. God, I pray for those here today who have yet to meet their future spouse. I pray that their roots would go deep and that they would attract the right person according to what you've established from those roots. And for those here today whose marriage is not healthy, God, I pray that as they seek you and your plan, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration. I pray that your word, the authority in our lives would continue to speak and challenge us as we leave here today. That we would each desire to grow and be an example of you to others. We pray this in your holy and precious name, the name of Jesus and all people said, amen. Church, be blessed today, would you? Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.